Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for January 17th, 2021. Koyo Kobose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Well, indeed, indeed. Sometimes Adrian and I watch the political news on television, and it's an amazing time. Uh, in a few days, we're going to have a new president, and uh, we look at the, no matter what our personal politics is, I think everybody could agree that we spent uh, quite a year or even years uh, on the political scene. And, uh, you know, when I was young adult, I never paid much attention to politics. And, um, uh, but now that I'm older <laughs> and not that you can get involved in it or not, but just knowing what's going on is amazing. It's really amazing. And I was wondering about, uh, when you give a, a talk, no matter what the topic is. Um, suppose, for example, you're a resident minister. Um, this is, and so every Sunday, which, by the way, you know, uh, in America, uh, how is uh, Buddhism adapting itself to a home in America? Because in uh, <clears throat> In India and other countries, Southeast Asian countries, religious uh, services were not necessarily weekly or on Sundays. <laughs> we might never think about this, but the manner in which it's expressed, you know, of course, is cultural and and particular to a, a country or something. In America, Sunday, Sunday morning. Time for church. Okay. 
So supposing you're a minister and a Buddhist minister and uh, now and, and again, uh, not to be unique, but to to try to reflect its own identity. Uh, early on, they used to call them Buddhist churches of America. Okay. Church. A lot of places they they stopped using church and they went to temple. Okay. Uh, not Buddhist church of such and such, but Buddhist temple of such and such. So they're trying to uh, evolve okay, in the best way possible. So let's say you're a minister. Same thing with minister. So well, what are you? What are you, what are you called? A priest? Uh, you know, you're not a monk, okay? And all these things. But let's okay. We'll say, well, Reverend so and so, or you're a minister, Buddhist minister, <laughs> at a temple in the United States, and you have a congregation. You have a weekly Sunday service. Uh, And your service might have, you know, your service has a certain format or program. Uh, But regardless, uh, you're going to give a minister's message or a Dharma talk. And you do this every week. Um, The way that religious organizations function in in the United States is there's usually a board, board of directors, and the minister is hired. uh, Essentially then an employee of a congregation. Uh, These are the things that, you know, when I start talking about it and thinking about it, so, oh, uh, the way it's manifested, okay, depends very heavily on the on the context, okay? uh, the ethnic, uh, societal, all these, you know, it occurs in some kind of a context. Okay, so this is, I'm not talking about where where uh, a guest speaker comes in or you're a guest speaker but this is your routine weekly service and you're very comfortable this is your congregation you know you know your people and this not it's not anything special every week and you have to prepare of course your Dharma talk. Now, how would you go about this? Uh, I suppose as a as a, a profession, uh, some ministers, regardless of of their religion or or denomination, they have all kinds of uh, uh, types of preparation for their regular weekly service. Maybe they might. Uh, some, well, there would be an extreme in terms of some people, some ministers may be very, uh, prepare a very formal talk, maybe even type it out and, okay, and have it prepared well ahead of time, okay, 
Maybe they do a whole month. And then the other extreme would be where there's no preparation at all. And I was, it was, I found this very interesting. I was sitting uh, one time. It was, it was at an event, and there was some Buddhist ministers there, and I, I was sitting next to one. Uh, and I said, uh, and I don't know. We started talking about giving Dharma talks, and he said, for his congregation weekly service. Sometimes on purpose, he decide, he doesn't prepare anything. And but each service has a a, a chairperson. He says, okay, now we're going to have a dharma talk by Reverend Ma, Ma, Matsumoto. Okay, and he he's the only minister there. He, that's this is his congregation. Okay, and he gets up and walks through the pulpit, and he doesn't know what he's going to talk about. <laughs> and he says. That's kind of a rush. <laughs> I never heard of such a thing. He did, he didn't he purposely didn't prepare at all. Now he's not a guest speaker or anything like that. Okay. Well, this is his weekly service. They said, "Okay, Reverend Masamoto, time for uh, here's his drama talk." And you get up and walk to the pulpit, and you don't know, and your mind's a blank, and but you got to say something. He says, "That's a rush." <laughs> I think about that a lot. And now, maybe he knew a, uh, a general topic that he might, you know, but he didn't know any further uh, details about what he might talk about. But maybe he knew it was going to be on a certain topic. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Because that was the extent of our conversation. But my point to you is. This doesn't matter whether, you know, I, if you're a spiritual seeker and you have dialogue with other people and you're looking and you, you, have re, you have some teachings that you know about and you may have some teachings that, uh, that are yours, you know, um, very uniquely individual application of a particular teaching. But there's something you could share about your practice, your spiritual path, uh, and not that it has to be in a formal Dharma talk, but you could express yourself. Okay? Uh, I think this is a valuable thing of, of being prepared to give a Dharma talk. Uh, and the way it was expressed to me, uh, a little Dharma practice that I picked up is, I said, uh, teacher says to the student, hey, show me your Buddhism. <laughs> I suppose it's you. Said, well, I, 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 I don't know. You should always be prepared to express something like that. I think this is part of uh, spiritual practice. Hmm? To be always ready. Hey, show me your Buddhism. Okay. And this is not necessarily a pat answer because uh, it depends upon, you don't know when you're going to be asked this. You won't, you don't stay the same. Your path is evolving. Okay. Uh, 
But being able to express it like that really is a different kind of a, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, readiness. Okay? And just because, well, why should I be ready? I don't have to give up Dharma talk. Well, that's, that's beside the point. I'm saying your inner teacher okay, says to you, hey, show me your Buddhism. What are you going to say? Huh? And my suggestion is you should always be ready to answer that challenge to yourself. Um, hey, hey, today I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, Alex Caprio, and here he is. Hello, everyone. I'd like to start by saying thank you to Reverend Koyo for inviting me to speak today. That was very kind of him. And I'd also like to thank all of you for listening today. That's also very kind. The top, or the title of today's Dharma Glimpse is Buddhist Altars and the Oneness of All Things. When I became a Buddhist, I was against the use of altars. In part, this was due to a youth spent in the Evangelical Christian Church, where we received daily warnings against false idols and eternal damnation. It was also due to the arrogance that's typical of most Westerners, which writes off devotional Buddhist practices as cultural baggage. I believed in seated meditation, and I enjoyed spending time on my cushion, but any outward show of faith, whether it was an altar, a Buddhist statue, or even wearing mala beads, was too much for me to handle. I wanted to keep Buddha and get rid of Buddhism. However, years of practice have pushed me to the other end of the spectrum. I wear robes, I chant, I bow, and there is a Buddhist altar in my living room. This change occurred because hours in meditation showed me that Buddhism is as much a body practice as it is an intellectual one. And like the adventurer who finds a hidden waterfall on a map, it's not enough for us to know the path to our destination. We have to lace up our boots and walk there. My altar helps me walk. Most people would call it minimalistic, but each piece serves a purpose. At its center is a small Buddha statue that I bought the day I took the precepts. There is a Butsudan that was gifted to me the day I became a Buddhist teacher, and candles that I used to make light offerings. Finally, there are two stones, one on either side of Buddha. The one on his right is Lemurian quartz, and it represents Kanan, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. The one on his left is striated sandstone. It represents Manju, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom. I found the stones when I was in San Francisco doing an advanced meditation teacher training. So, one could say that my altar is an embodiment of my Buddhist life. Every piece represents a step I've taken along the path. Each piece also represents the people who walk with me on that path. My altar reminds me of Buddha, who blazed the trail for others to follow. 
It reminds me of Kanan and Manju, who act as guideposts when I've lost my way. It reminds me of the members of my Sangha, who rush to pick me up every time I fall. The practice of having an altar is the practice of remembering. We remember where we've come from. We remember where we're going. We remember those who've walked the path before us. The practice of having an altar is the practice of oneness. It's a practice that says there is no me without we, and there is no I without us. Thus, it embodies Ihe Dogen's teaching, which states, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with a myriad of things. The practice of having an altar is the practice of speaking with our ancestors. I hear their voices every night when I bow and give an offering. They say, you are not alone. They say, where you go, we go with you. Where you walk, we walk too. Their words comfort me. They give me warmth when life is cold. And they remind me that when I sit before my altar, the entire world sits with me. Namu Amida Butsu. Thank you very much. You know, this kind of a topic, as I listened, um, when we think about the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, uh, and the point that was being made was that um, you're never alone in your spiritual journey. Uh, you're accompanied by, well, you might be you might be part of a local sangha, but you're even besides that. Supposing you you feel you're doing it all alone, but upon reflection, uh, you're not really doing it alone because uh, what you're studying, what you're doing, uh, evolves someplace somehow through time. Uh, even when you read something, whoever wrote it. You know, ref- reflects a, a lot of s- spiritual experiences and everything. Uh, uh, whenever anything happens, it happens for a reason, a causes, yeah? and it goes stretches back in time <laughs> a long, long way. Um, to realize this kind of interdependency. Uh, as part of the awareness of your own journey. Okay? So in a sense, uh, <clears throat> when you look at one life, you cannot see help but see the influence of a lot of other lives. Maybe this is, could be said to be showing the oneness of all things. If you do have some um, uh, mala beads, well, that is a history that contributed to to the fact of its own existence. Okay. We have an altar, or any religious object. It has a history. 
uh, whatever kind of experience you have, it's a expression that maybe is uniquely yours, but at the same time connected to a lot of other lives. Um, this uh, uh, and then uh, Alex Kakuyo mentioned Dogen saying, and this too is one of my favorite poems. Yeah. What is Buddhism? What Dogen said, well, Buddhism is to study the self. Huh? What is to study the self? It's to forget the self. To forget the self. Well, it's to be enlightened by all things. That's the way I like to express it. Okay? So it's from the beginning to the end of these four stanzas. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> What, what does it mean to forget oneself? So what, that means <laughs> that you look around and your mind is open, mind is blank, your mind is empty, so that anything is the Dharma. To be enlightened by all things. You could look and say, oh, look at this light here. Oh, look at this pen. Look at this pencil. Look at this computer. Look at this rug. Look at this table. Anything, okay, has a Dharma teaching, you know. That That is, I would say, is the crux of spiritual practice. It's the purpose of a bright dawn study program, yeah, so that you're, you have that within yourself as, um, Perfecting your studentship. That's another phrase I picked up someplace. Okay. On one level, in one context, some people might say, well, I'm going to become a minister, or, or I, I'm not, I'm going to be a lay minister. Lay minister means you're not, doing, you're not hired by a congregation. Okay. It's not your livelihood. Okay. Uh, Sinan is famous for a statement that he's, he said he's neither a layman nor a monk. And uh, someone was asking about this recently. And, and indeed, yeah, I, I'd like to uh, unpack that a little bit one of these days. I don't know how to elaborate on it. I don't know the context in which he said that. Because hmm? usually in an ordinary sense, you have a a minister and then a congregation. Okay? You have one who gives the teachings and the other who receives it. But what about it if your person himself is the giver and the receiver? You know? um, and so I think I like the phrase lay minister because you could really talk about that and unpack that. Okay, rather than there being two group, two things, and there's a an, an abyss or some kind of separation between lay and professional clergy, lay clergy and lay. Uh, but that, what if I say, well, I say, how lay minister? What does that mean? Okay, and we could benefit from 
reflecting upon that and saying, yeah, okay. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, we're not talking about monastic. Okay? We're not talking about professional clergy. But let's just assume that it's you, it's me, it's people that, ordinary people who are serious about becoming spiritual seekers. How do they relate to these kinds of topics, issues, or, you know? Uh, and what does it mean for me to be enlightened by all things? And it is kind of a knack to do that, to say, hey, look around. And you could find Dharma teachings all over because you have the seed within yourself. You have the glasses that you could put on, Dharma glasses, okay? Or anything that you touch, just like Midas, everything turned to gold. Anything you touch with your mind, with your ear, with your eye, you see something, say, there's Dharma there, okay? It's kind of a unique combination of it's not all you, and it's not something completely separate out there. Okay. Is it out there, or is it inside you? Well, okay. both. Okay. Something out there, you're able to look at it, and then it's uniquely yours. But, you know, of course, different people that have seen the same thing in the physical environment, but their experience is uniquely theirs because of their karmic background. Just like if you have an apple on the table and you have a group of people around it and say, hey, tell me something about what you see. A botanist might talk, look at the apple in a certain way. A hungry person might look at the apple in a certain way. Okay. Uh, you can get uh, a different expression as you go around the circle saying, well, tell me about what you see here, this apple. And so I like, you know, I like the phrase, um, uh, discover slash create. Discover means, oh, you you, got to go and look around outside, you know, to find something to find the truth, to find the teaching. But it says slash, meaning that it's integrated. It's two halves of a whole. You create it. It's not all formulated, ready there for you to digest. It's up to you to create the teaching. But you don't create it in a vacuum because no matter if you're alive and if you're a human being, you're in a physical environment, and you have a history. Huh? So it's both the fact of you got to look out there to discover something out there, and at the same time of the complete process, you've got to create something. Some people, they, they put too much emphasis on one aspect and not the other. If it's too much emphasis on discover, then it seems like, oh, you don't have to do any works of creating it. You just look around for the good book, the good teacher, the good something out there. Say, ah, there it is. Okay. On the other hand, 
if someone says, oh, I, I, I do it. I'm going to do it. I'm creating it. Too much emphasis on the individual, the create, creative process. Okay? You need the raw material out there. And I think that's, this is a very dynamic thing, process. Huh? Uh, and it, and it's, uh, I think that's where the truth lies in spiritual path and in life itself. You know, when you know something and you learn something, hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going. And you have a beautiful day. Thank you.